The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The VIX hanging below 30. Kind of interesting with this much daily pain. Rates on the 10-year backing up, just as we thought. And markets may be poised for a counter-trend move here. Continuing on from where we were, we need a kinder and gentler Fed. Our guest today, Claire Flynn Levy, founder of Essentia Analytics. All this and much more on episode number 768 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, hey there. I hope you're doing well, my friends. Last week's podcast where we had a replay of our client call and our update on the economic and market situation got a lot of really good reviews, comments back to me. I didn't think it was going to be that exciting. I thought it would be something we haven't done before. Maybe it would be interesting to do. And But a lot of people are like, hey, I love this. So I guess we'll do that in the future. And uh, I know that over the last few weeks, if you've been listening to DH Unplugged, if you listened to two shows ago, two episodes ago, where I was ranting and raving once again about the Fed, I know I can get a bit nuts, and this whole idea of the stupidity, the dumbness in politics related to finance and the moves that we see, like with the release of the SPR, where we have to just buy back more oil in the future, or UK's dumbheaded, boneheaded, misguided move to increase taxes on a one-time special assessment to oil and major refiners, et cetera, in the UK and around the world that, that do business there, and then give stimulus underneath that to individuals? They don't think that's going to raise prices? I mean, just stupidity at the highest levels because it's related to our hard-earned money, and it pisses me off to no end. That's why you're here, right? So you figure out what we should be doing, how to get our money right. Oh, yeah, by the way, if I didn't tell you already, I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'm the host of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. I'm the founder of Horowitz & Company as well. We're an investment management firm. That's what we do. We analyze the economics, the markets. We look at what's going on, and we deploy money and capital for our clients in a most appropriate way that we know how. And uh, that's something we can do for you as well. By the way, we do have a minimum of... Uh, if you want to get involved, there's different kinds of accounts we have and strategies. But our most basic diversified strategy with regard to utilizing our global uh, outlook is the Endvestology. If you can look it up over on the show notes for episode number 768 or go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com, very easy to find out the information about Endvestology. $10,000 minimum. We're about to get involved in the next few weeks with a portfolio rebalance that we do on a regular basis, now is a really good time to start the process of getting that account open so that you can go through the rebalancing component of the strategy. So that's something to think about. But either way, if you're a little shell-shocked with what's going on in the markets, that's what we're here for. 
to teach you, to talk to you, to educate you about what's going on. And I think there's been a bit of an overreaction. And some of the things that I was looking for and some of the things that I was trying to put aside and to make sure you didn't get too focused on this idea of this capitulation, 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 capitulation. So all you hear about right now is capitulation because the talking heads don't have anything. They talked about RSI for the longest time. They're like, we have to have capitulation. And what that means is, well, we're going to see that everybody dumps their stocks and then we're going to see a big volume day. And then we're going to see all of a sudden that's the end of it all. You know what? That's what a market bottom they say is going to be. You know what? Market bottoms take on all sorts of shapes and sizes, directions, lengths, magnitudes. There is not this one capitulatory event that happens. And the idea that they're trying to sell this nonsense, that they can figure this out, is total bull crap. There are some things that you can look for. Things like what we saw this week where bad news actually turned into good news, where the GDP number, the revision at negative 1.5% from negative 1.4% actually was taken as, oh my, on top of the Fed's minutes that we saw early in the week that mm, maybe, maybe there's a chance that the Fed is going to pause ever so slightly after the next couple of increases that they seem to have baked into the deal already. Okay, interesting. Other things that are very notable, very notable. And you need to pay attention to this. This is... This is, this is behavioral finance 101, maybe 102, 103 as well. When we start to see that that bad news becomes good news, like when Dick's Sporting Goods comes out with their numbers, interesting, rocks down about 12% on the after hours, and then all of a sudden it opens up in the market, and it turns out to be a positive day. NVIDIA, same concept that what's going on there. We see things like Macy's moving up dramatically, or even a raw stores the next day when people said, you know what, I think we did enough damage to this for the reasons that we're not sure why we did it. We just sold. We just sold. I don't know why. I need to buy back. Now, there's a difference between short squeeze that we saw at the mid to latter part of the week, and there's a difference between stabilization. Not quite there yet at full stabilization. And markets are changing faster than the summertime weather in Florida. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and also behavioral finance with our guest, Claire Flynn-Levy, very shortly. But last Friday, I want to go back to last Friday, a week ago, back to the, uh, what was that, the 21st or so of, uh, of May. And um, we saw markets come back dramatically after digging a pretty good hole for themselves in the morning. And by the end of the day, much of the damage was unwound. And in an environment there, there is a lot of uncertainty going into a weekend. You'd usually think, you know, maybe people are a little more reluctant to hold on. During the times that we saw that there was you know, full-on quantitative easing and low rates and very liquid monetary fiscal policy going on, Fridays were a big day also. But in bad times when people are concerned, uh, I don't need uh, two days where I don't know what could happen in Russia or in China or with the monkeypox. And we saw that on Monday, there was a follow-through on the news. Well, that nothing's changed. And we had some kind of relief in bonds and we acted reasonable from a correlation standpoint. When we did see that markets actually got hit, bonds were bought. That was something I thought was really good about two weeks ago when I signaled that. I told you that on Twitter. If you follow me, Andrew Horowitz, one word on Twitter. I told you about that. I said, look, hey, 
correlations are looking a little bit better here. This is something really interesting. Now, we're not going to try to necessarily catch a falling knife. Let's not go there. But I want to give you a little bit of insight of what I'm looking at and why, in fact, I think there's some good signs right now. Now, there's a lot of other negatives going on, but I'm just trying to peel off a few things that are of interest because we've pretty much been knocking it all down otherwise in every other conversation. And then we saw a total unraveling of that move, that reversal on that Friday to the move this Monday when it was up nicely. On Monday night, Snap came out with a pretty horrendous, horrifying, ugly pre-announcement. The company provided already a an earnings number about 30 days ago or so. And they saw, well, you know, we're going to have... Uh, this in terms of our outlook, and uh, these are numbers that we're presenting right now, and we think we're going to see this and that. And what happened in this pre-announcement, this is where the problem came in, is there was dramatic change all of a sudden, out of nowhere, that the last 30 days, that outlook they have has to be scrapped. Take it and just throw it, because no longer is that reliable. They're seeing a material weakness in their advertising revenue, slowing and halting hiring and guiding lower for the next quarter for at least. Markets, and especially tech-related names, went into an immediate convulsive nosedive. Okay, so Twitter moved down. We saw, saw that uh, F- Facebook. We saw you know Roku, which has some advertising. Amazon. Everything went into like a convulsion. And the concern is that the change over such a short period of time could be evidenced in the economy right now, that could be showing it's in much worse shape than actually being reported. That's the problem. Well, at least that's what they thought it was. It could have been also the advertiser just saying, you know, things aren't going well our way right now, and we're not seeing a lot of uptick, and maybe we're going to hold back for a little while. But it's not necessarily only the advertisers inside the social media group. There's also reports from several retailers that we saw, right, the... the um, Dollar, the, 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 the general retailers, Walmart, um, and uh, who else do we have? We had Target come out. It was just horrendous numbers, right? On the back of that, though, we saw like Dollar General and Dollar Tree do really well. Macy's do well. Dick's Sporting Goods do really well. So it's a very hit or miss kind of situation what's going on right now. So what we're seeing is that maybe there was some pullback in the advertising overall Possibly. It also could be that the stimulus is finally ending. Maybe the Fed hike is spooking people. Perhaps the war in Ukraine, monkeypox, supply chain. I mean, I don't know. We can keep going on with this list probably. Maybe that's central to this storm that's going on right now with all of this. Maybe it was the Elon Musk concern. There's a lot of bots on Twitter that spilled over to other social media. That advertiser said, wait a second. I'm not paying all this money to be seen by bots. They don't buy anything. And what seems to be happening right now, I think, is that everything is being taken down for the moment, keeping a uh, a real concern. People are keeping a high cash level right now. We are. We have high cash levels, generally speaking. Reduced uh, risk portfolios overall. Buffers. Although we did buy a position in Tesla on support last week for the TDI managed growth strategy. We also bought... Generac, just in full uh, disclosure, because it is seasonally a good time to buy generators when we enter into hurricane season. 
So kind of interesting. But retailers and retail woes are, are a bit of a concern and they're potentially helpful. Listen to this. I've been thinking about this. I've been digging down on this and as the, uh, the newfound guys to, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. You know, they always say that. I'm doing the work. You got to do the work. Look, I did the research. I thought about it. Did the numbers. So I guess I did the work. <laughs> this huge uptick in inventories. Hmm, think about it. Why is that happening? All of a sudden, right, across all sorts of industry lines in the retail space, did we all of a sudden see a major change out of nowhere in buying habits? This thing they're talking about, again, the talking heads, they pick up a story and they just, they just beat it to hell because that's the only thing they know. They talk, well, we've entered into now people want experiences. They don't want things. Maybe. But also I think potentially buyers got freaked out. The people that buy for the stores, I'm not talking about the buyers as in the consumers. I'm talking about the buyers that buy for the stores. I think they've said something like this. Oh my God. You know, this supply chain thing's a real mess. And you know, look at these prices. Buy. Buy everything you can. Get your hands on. Get stuff into the stores. I don't care. Case upon cases. Whatever you can find, get your hands on. Bring it in. And they screwed up because they got that. They were like, get it now, 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 now. And they screwed it up because it all came in. Shoppers were not in overdrive anymore. They actually backed up a little. And then you have it a 40% increase in overall inventory change in a year. Which, here's the bright side of this. I want you to think about this. It's actually pretty deflationary. Unless they can unload now, you know, sell the stuff now, which they can't, they'll try to liquidate. They'll try to adjust prices. They'll send it down to TJX and Ross stores, right? So prices are going to go down as oversupply we're seeing in some areas. And it seems to me that there's a disconnect disconnect of what we're seeing. There is a rotation happening. Consumers opted for travel and experience. Okay, we, we bought all the crap that we could with the stimulus and PPA, PPP programs. Now they want to get outside. They don't need another TV, a couch, a table, uh, uh, a desk. They want to go to Disney. There is something about the experience but it's more about the service side of things. Let's not get it all, uh, you know, focused on just experiential type of expenses. We want to go to Disney. The situation with ad spend is and is not related entirely, but it could be connected. I mean, you think a lot of people are buying homemade crafted bow ties from Etsy these days? I mean, is that something that's going on on a regular basis that people are doing that now and, um, maybe we're seeing cutbacks on social media spend in those areas, the smaller sellers, the mom and pop shops, the pop-ups. You get the picture. Big money by small biz spent on social media like Facebook. Eh. And again, this, this whole Musk overlay that's going on. Very interesting environment that we're in right now. And I think that uh, we need to take a look at the last week's minutes in particular, and look at uh, what the Fed is talking about and how we're seeing a lot of these headwinds and possibly dissipation. Uh, is that the right word? Dissipation? Dissipate. The problems dissipate. That's a better way. Dissipate. With, uh, with what's going on in terms of the high prices, I do think that we're going to see some of this inflationary, well, moves in certain areas, not necessarily in oil as the war is going on, maybe in some corn, wheat, some foods, but in other areas like 
oh, T-shirts or the store goods that we have from, uh, you know, that we see in certain areas are going to start to show up as deflationary. And if the Fed is smart, they'll move up rates to uh, probably the next couple of times and pause for a bit. And I think markets are starting to sniff that out as we see that the 10 years dropped from 3.2% a few weeks ago down to 2.75. Interesting, the Fed has not taken off the rhetoric and the button and, and the fact that they've been on the throat of the markets. And all of a sudden, we're already seeing the reasonable nature of bonds backing back down and saying, you know what? I don't think we're going to get there. And that's all because of what we're seeing. The dollar is also back down from a, a multi-week high, a multi-year high. So a lot of things that are happening that are shaping up right now. If, in fact, we can get some resolution on some of these items, maybe we can have the, uh, the reality that, that, that uh, the lockdowns in China will slow, but probably not. Maybe opening up a supply chains a bit, probably, to a degree. And hopefully an end to this godforsaken war in Ukraine. That would be nice. Then we'll see a lot of things change dramatically. The Fed knows this, that any one of these things can change on a button, on a dime, twist, turn, very quickly snap of the finger. And they would be in a real bind if they if they did too much too soon. So think of it that way. With that, uh, you know how to contact us. Talked about that. Twitter, I mentioned that earlier. You could check me out. I have my food blog or I just do food blogging, a dad bod food blog. And, uh, of course, uh, we want to work with you. I'm going to tell you this again straight up right to you so you know there's no mistaking this. I would like to potentially help you out with your finances, especially in these very difficult times. This is where we shine, where we, we I think we do a really great job for our clients. So go over to Discipline Investor, drop me a line, uh, and we will work together. Right now, we're going to move on. Let's talk with our guest. And our guest today is Claire Flynn Levy was with us, by the way, last time, January 2020, which I can't believe, but it's a while ago. She's the founder of Essentia Analytics, which is a leading provider of behavioral data analytics and consulting for professional investors. And it's led by a team of experts in investment management, technology, and behavioral sciences. And um, Essentia combines next-gen data analytic technology with human coaching. They help uh, active fund managers measurably improve investment decision-making. You know, if you heard it before in our discussion before, it's all about Checking yourself before you wreck yourself, I think, number one. Number two, making sure that you have a quantifiable and repeatable uh, process that at least you can go with rather than just shooting from the hip. But we'll talk more about that in a moment. Claire, how are you? I am very well. How are you? Good, thanks. So you got the Flynn and you got the Levy. Yep. So you got the Irish-Jewish thing? That's exactly right. Oh, it's, so conflicted. It's technically, it's, it's a levy, but um, yeah, I, I'm sort of uh, dual nationality. <laughs> so plenty of eating and drinking, as we say in my circles, because I hang around with uh, the Italians, Irish, Jews, a lot of, of us, we, we all kind of, it's just a little bit different. Like, you know, we go to, somebody said to me the other day, we had a funeral in my family. Like, well, what, what's a Jewish funeral like? I'm like, it's like an Irish wake with deli platters. You know, I love it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. So let's talk about investing. You've probably been very busy over the last um, several months, actually, for, of course, several years. But with the idea that um, a lot of the to a degree, a lot of the old hard and true investment processes that were based on fundamental research, let's say, as an example, or even technical analysis or whatever, whatever the particular way you did it had been uprooted to a degree through 2020-21, and maybe even the same thing is happening in reverse to a degree in 2022. Um, are, you, are you finding that people are having a difficult time, the professionals, with 
some of their standard uh, processes? Yeah, I mean, it is it is rough out there and, you know, market dislocations are like that, you know. So from our customer base is mostly equity fund managers, right. hedge fund managers and long-only fund managers. So they're, you know, this is their day job. Um, and they are, they, Q1 was rough, like really rough. And it was because everything you knew to be true or everything that, that sort of underpinned uh, your process was just like not, it wasn't working like that anymore. And it right. was very confusing. And that does happen. I mean, I remember that happening when I was a fund manager in uh, you know, like two, late, late 2000, early 01, mm-hmm. um, a long time ago now. But, you know, when the market shifts gears, it's, it's ruthless for a while there. And things get very, very noisy. You know, I was, I was just listening to a, um, a trader for a fund talk about how very recently in this, this current market, he feels like he's super busy but there's not a lot of substance there. Yeah. It's it's not like really big important decisions are actually getting made. There's just a lot of noise and that can be very distracting and confusing. Yeah, cuz I think the noise if I can expand on that for a second, it's like okay, let's just start out with a, with a Monday, okay? Just a, just any old Monday and it's like okay, well, uh markets regain their footing. Okay, look at some of the names that we were f- sifting through. And uh, that may be on support, and let's think about maybe adding to them. And then uh, maybe maybe you just take a little shot at something, right? Just a little something, a little, little peppering of, of an addition to the portfolio if you're talking about long side only um, portfolios. Tuesday comes wrong around, it's like, oh, that was a bad decision. And you keep mm-hmm. on going through that process, and it makes it very difficult then to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like, it's so easy in that type of volatile environment to have your horizon snap to being very short term. So if you're if your investment horizon is one day and that's how you how you make money, then fair enough, right? But for most, certainly most of the people I deal with, that's not the case. You know, they might be thinking years in advance or at the very least months. Um, and so doing something on a Monday and then looking at it on Tuesday and, and rethinking it is um, not very helpful. No, no, I get that. I get that. But that's the confusion part of it. What I'm saying is the, the wild whipsaws and the movement makes it for a, now nobody ever said this game was easy, right? Yeah. Nobody ever said that you, it's going to be a straight line one way or the other. The problem that I'm finding, and this is separate and apart from, from the behavioral side of things is that, uh, we are being pushed and pulled as investors purposefully by parties that are beyond our control. It is not, you know, when you look at a company, uh, it doesn't matter the company name, but you look at a particular company in technology land and you notice that they are getting just absolutely obliterated mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it's being taken down for a good reason or not. And then the entire sector is being taken down for good reason or not. But a lot of people that are caught up in things because all of a sudden liquidity has been sapped out of markets, which has nothing to do with the long-term nature of that company necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, price is what it is that matters. But that, I think in therein, it's, 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 it's way outside the control of analysis unless you are specifically doing just price analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's where it, if you're – if your process and your philosophy are aligned around actual analysis, which, you know, hope not everybody's is, but, but certainly the people I work with is, 
um, you got to stick to the process and stick to the analysis. And one benefit of having been around for a long time is that you know that these sometimes this happens, sometimes this goes on, and you know you'll live through it, and so will your portfolio if you don't do anything stupid right now. Yeah, and uh, you just got to wait it out, and that's not easy to do emotionally, but if you've been through it before, it helps, you know what you're dealing with. But we also knew that a lot of the stuff that went on over 2020, partially into 2021, was also stupid, but people mm -hmm. couldn't resist. Between NFTs, uh, you know, buying a picture of an ape for a million dollars because through, you know, when I say picture, when I say picture, I'm talking about a JPEG. I know. Insanity. I know. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. So, but I do want to ask you something, and this wasn't part of uh, some of the questions that I put down, but I just thought of it. Um, you must be having, I, I could be wrong about this, but you must be having a field day with the analysis of Kathy Wood. <laughs> Seriously, are <laughs> you? No, well, we don't actually analyze her. So we only analyze the data of, you know, our actual clients because we're taking their daily trade data. Um, so I don't, Kathy Wood's not a client of ours, but it would be very interesting. Um, well, you, she's fully transparent. You could theoretically not have her as a client, but just yeah. see what's going on. Because I'm pretty fascinated that it, it, to a really weird degree, it looks like somebody's attacking her. Like mm -hmm. she'll go after a stock and then the next day it drops like 20%. Like, how is that? You know, what, what kind of luck could you have for that to be happening? Yeah, that is interesting. I, um, I mean, it'll be so, it's going to take at least another six months, if not longer, before things settle down, I, I suspect, right. to the point where you could see something interesting in the data. Um, but there will be interesting tales to tell. And if you had data about, you know, things from within exchanges or, or uh, order data and that type of thing, you probably could figure that one out. What's going on there? So what, what, when do you, when do you tell? Cause this, you know, um, I know that in the world of psychology, right? You, you, you go to couples counseling, let's say. So Claire, you and I are married and we're just having a little disagreement. So we go over to the, uh, the couples counselor that we find, right? Dr. Love. And, mm -hmm. um, we're sitting there and you think that of course, Dr. Love is, uh, agreeing with you on everything. And I'm like, well, psh, whoa, agreeing with me on everything. You know how that goes. Right. And, uh, they're not usually trained to say, you know, maybe it's time that maybe you guys aren't good together. Maybe it's time they try to fix things right all the time. Now let's take that, that weird scenario that I just built. Um, and let's push it over to portfolio management. When is it appropriate to bail from a process? Well, I mean, it depends on your strategy and your, and your philosophy, but when your investment when your thesis is being proven wrong with evidence obviously that's a good time to just say enough is enough you might have made money in the in the stock you might be taking profits right I mean, at that point that uh -huh. you realize that happens usually that's not what happens usually people only realize it when they're losing money and then it's a bitter pill to swallow and you're you're you know you can rationalize your way into letting your thesis drift you know, and, and overruling the, the idea that, no, you know what, the reason we bought this was this, and it turned out not to be true. So we better get out. Mm. You know, you can say, yeah, but it's so cheap that that'll keep you in there if you're, if you're not careful. So you've got a process that you can refer back to and you can stick with it. 
um, it will tell you exactly when to get out. So, so you would do something like, as an example, uh, a particular level of price drop from a point that I bought it at, for example, a change mm-hmm. in the fundamentals. Is that, is that a change in the fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, some people will say, um, stop loss, as you say, like something has gone down by a certain amount mm-hmm. or it's done a certain amount of damage to the portfolio. Um, some people will say just fundamentals breach. Um, usually that doesn't get found out until the price drop has right. happened, but right. uh, that, that would be a reason. Um, one thing that we've identified for people that is has proved to be very effective is if you can analyze the sort of game tape of every every idea you've ever put in your portfolio, you can identify the patterns in how those games go. You know, they don't, they don't all go the same way, just like sports games don't all go the same way, but there's a, a sort of sweet spot that each investor has around at what point in the life of their investments does the, the juice run out. And juice running out might turn into a total disaster, you know, make a lot of money and lose it all. Or it might just turn into, you know, it just sputters along, but it's not the best use of capital at that point. So we can pinpoint after X number of months on your losers, you're best off having a a review and making a decision about whether to get out because historically you would have been best off getting out at this point. And on your winners, after Y number of months is the point where you should, you know, take a step back and do a full review of this because historically at that point, your uh, probability of the winner turning into a loser becomes quite high. Mm. When you see it like that, it's like, Oh God. Okay, fine. So now just remind tell me when I'm there yeah. and I'll do it. <laughs> give me, give me you an know, alert. Send me an email. So yeah, that's what we do. So, so right now there's, there's a, there has to be, uh, a lot of people banging their heads on the table because even the things that you have discovered for them over the last number of years that have worked and you refined and you have crafted to a way that over time got them to be much more efficient with their buying, selling, holding process, right? That's what you do. So, but, but how then do you deal with the mental game in a market like this? There's two different markets that are like this. One is things are just going away from you. Uh, if you're a long only player, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a problem. Or the other side is if you're a long only player, you're not, you're not along with it, right? So there's two different sides to the same story. One is mm-hmm. I'm in it, I'm getting killed. The other one is I'm in it, I'm, in it, I'm not making what I should be, mm-hmm. right? So both are, are anguish points or, or pain points. How do you help people manage the mental game? Well, we encourage, because we're supplying them with data, that's, that's quite useful as a center point. You know, it's sort of, in the absence of data, it's it's very easy to get ruled by you know opinions and emotions and all the rest. And managing your mental game becomes harder. But if you can see exactly what has you know this is what I'm good at. I know this because I've analyzed you know the past, and I recognize that markets are noisy and sometimes it's a nightmare. <laughs> but if I can just you know focus on the light at the end of the tunnel and know that. If I just keep moving forward, doing what I know I'm good at, what data has proven that I'm good at, I'll be fine. And this will be painful for a while, but I'll live through it. Um, So that's really the role that we're playing, just helping them 
keep focus forward when the walls are on fire. So you're a coach and you are a, I don't want to call it say a crutch, but you're a backstop. That's better. Backstop. Yeah. A and a sounding a board, yeah. you know, yeah. and a, and a reminder around the process. So what we're not doing is giving people a set of rules and say, well, you know, in the past, the data has said that you should always exit every position at this point in its life. Therefore you must exit at this point. No, you know, we're saying it, the past is the past. That's not necessarily predictive of the future. <laughs> we all know that because it says it in the fine print on all the uh, ah, stuff. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it, but it can be useful as a data set. So looking at it and saying, okay, historically, this would have been a good time to get out at, at, at most and at best, I think it's advisable to use that point as a point to ask yourself some questions. You know, plan in advance that when each one of my positions hits this point, I'm going to ask myself, would you be a buyer of this stock today? Mm-hmm. You know, what? How, what's the probability that this thing is going to outperform over the next six months? Or I don't know, you decide what the questions are. Different people ask different things. But mm-hmm. the point is to ask yourself in that moment when you're feeling rudderless and like it's all going wrong. And that's what humans just don't remember to do because our our hard wiring and our monkey brain, you know, takes us somewhere else where we're just trying to survive and we, we abandon the process. And uh, that's just like the opposite of what gets you through. I mean, the problem right now you have is that there has been so much of a smackdown and I'm not just talking Mm -hmm. about stock prices. I'm talking about, you know, and I've talked about this a hundred times. My listeners are, are just, they know my routine already. You know, we talk about how many more, headwinds do we have to have till we say, okay, you know what? Enough. How many more times do we have to have all those headwinds? And now we have to add monkeypox for God's sakes. And we got to add all the other things that are going on with wars and, and, and famines and COVID and pandemics coming back and then going away. And you know, the list, the list, right? It's a long list. And we're about to enter. I got a few days. We're about to enter into hurricane season in Florida. Okay. Hello. You know, it's, it's one thing after the next. And um, the, the, the problem is that, you know, where is that point that we can look back and say, well, 2000, it was painful, but it's kind of obvious that things really should have been where they were. Yeah. And what we did was come down and it just got worse because it snowballed. And to a degree, we have the same thing now and we're fighting the Fed again now because we have wicked inflation. But, um, you know, with all the things that are happening on a daily basis on TV, the talking heads, talking nonsense about the, I talked about this earlier, about capitulation, about uh, oh, you got to see this. You got to see that for a market bottom. All this crap in the news, and everybody's a pro. You know, everybody's a pro on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's everybody yeah. knows everything on Twitter. You know, and let's not even talk about the TikTok finance de- dudes and 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 g- gals. Um, there's got to be, uh, I guess, the whole point. I get, I'm answering my question here. I was going to say, there's got to be a way to distance yourself if you want to run your own money or your professional running somebody else's money, right? Whereas you don't fall prey to a lot of the static. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got to take a long-term view, you know, that, that is what professionals will do and they won't be watching CNBC in the background and they won't be looking at this, these people on Twitter and TikTok and whatever else, because they know that, you know, that is just hype that is designed to entertain slash collect, you know, fees. (laughs) And, 
that's just not, it's not productive, not to a, a professional investor. So it's, so it's funny, just to kind of flush this out, I don't mean to interrupt, but I've got to interrupt anyway, sorry. Uh, but, yeah. but uh, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of thinking now that I, I, I watch CNBC in the morning just to kind of like look at the tape, what's going on as I'm, you know, just going, getting up and maybe grabbing some breakfast real quick. And then that's it. That, that's, I used to watch, like have it on here and there. Just, I don't know, it was color in the background, I guess, right? Yeah. It was just there. Uh, my color in the background now, if I had to, would be Bloomberg TV because mm-hmm. that's just much more raw information. And um, it it seems like they don't have a, it seems like CNBC has a, they, they want the markets to go up, which is fine. I'm all, I'm all game. I'm all uh, fine. You want to do, I don't care what direction you want. You want to push it somewhere. You want to do it. Great. But it, it's, it's more than hype. It, it's really terrible TV. It, it's like the, uh, you know, the real housewives on, 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 on finance. Yeah. Well, and they found their market. There's people who want to watch that. And, oh. you know, back in the day when I was a hedge fund manager, we used to have CNBC on like all day in the office and, Okay, it was different. You know, this is a long time ago, but uh, even then, I don't think that was actually helpful. You felt like you were supposed to because uh, that's. Yeah, you're supposed to have a TV in the office hung for clients when they come in that has some right. kind of like ticker tape that's going across or, or one of the ones on the top of the between, you know, the top of this, um, the wall, but up against the ceiling uh, that yeah. has like the, the, the red letters going by. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you had to have that. Yeah. And yet, <laughs> like, is that a good, is that helpful? I don't, I don't. Honestly, I don't think it is. I, I listen imagine. to business news in the morning and then I go, it's not CNBC, but it may as well be. And that, like you, that's it for the day. And then I'll listen tomorrow morning. And, right. you know, I look at this as a market correction that was inevitable just because there are cycles and this is how the market works. It's, but I, I don't look at it and think, oh my God, it's over for markets forever and we're all going to die destitute. So yeah. without revealing your clients and all that, but that's an interesting point that you bring up there. The whole idea of it was inevitable and there's a cycle because every time there's a cycle that everybody starts talking about the cycle is dead, scares the crap out of me at that exact moment when we were no longer going to have recessions because the fed has cured the economic cycle, the peak to trough, the recovery to back to the peak Back to, you know what I'm talking about? It's no yeah. longer going to be the case. And I start hearing about this. I'm like, oh my God, no, don't say that. Did you did you have a lot of people that thought we were done with that? We, I mean, the, we said the same thing back in the you know late 90s. It was like, oh, now it's different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's not. No, I mean, look, some things are different and, and the speed at which the market moves up and down is different because there are a lot of different market participants than there used to be that are computers, not humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so lots of things have changed, but the ultimately the cycle is what it is. Right. You know, it, it, I, I don't believe that any of that is true, but I think that usually that's uh, being sort of promoted by people who haven't necessarily lived through previous cycles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people that are, are, are the age of 40 or so have never been through an inflationary period yeah. of consequence in their adult life. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so it's like, you're you a little bit younger than I am, I think, but I was yeah. around in the eighties. Yeah. And there was a lot of inflation there that was pretty ugly. Yeah. So, you know, and yet we live to tell the tale. Yeah, we're so here. Yeah, we're here and we doing well. We just have to adapt and get through it. Yeah, we you know? got that. So, what uh, are what are the biggest things? You know, and, and and can we just do a quick, uh, you know, just an open session here for a moment? What are the biggest things as an investor 
that I should be doing to check myself right now, like whatever it is, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to give you any starters, just as a professional or just a, an active investor, what can I be doing to start thinking about, okay, what would I have to get together to, to refine a, refine an, um, refine a strategy, we'll call it that, that one day that I would like to bring to Claire Flynn Levy's firm, to Essentia Analytics, to analyze. Like what, 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 what should I be doing? Not only the, mundane parts, but from a attitude, from a mindset and all that. Yeah. Well, um, the first thing is to make the process, the investment process, your priority. So rather than sitting down and trading another day, <laughs> use a day mm -hmm. to just write down the process and put it down uh, in a way that is explicable for starters because if you want investors they're going to need you to un, you know be able to explain your process um but then also that can be broken down and and where you can um create a checklist out of it ideally or you know some sort of workflow uh tool could be used to to follow the process and and very crucially capture data at each stage of the process so um even just capturing which stocks did I spend my energy on today? Mm -hmm. You know, a date and a bunch of tickers is a good starting point. It's like a journal. Yeah. Like a journal, but but ideally with some structured data, uh, some like multiple choice questions or drop downs as opposed to just like free text. I mean, there's a lot to be said. Right. For you know what? It's not like I like the name and I like and the, and the CEO is really cute. That's that's not good. And, or Or even if it's like the most rigorous analysis in the world. Right. If it's in free text, it becomes harder to analyze down the road. Mm -hmm. So if you can say, all right, well, the five things I look for in a stock are, you know, one, two, three, four, five, this stock, I thought about it today. Here's how it stacks up on those five measures. And here's, um, what am I thinking of doing? I'm going to, I think I'm going to buy it. Okay. And what is my, uh, the probability of me being right if I bought it today? and capturing a probability around, around that potential decision. If you had all of that, plus your trade data of the things you actually do do, that's a very rich data set. And you can, you can do all kinds of analysis that tells you that, you know, what, of the five things that you care about, these are the ones that actually really are predictive of success. And it, it can tell you when you say, I think the probability of being right on buying is X, you know, you might be massively overconfident or really accurate. Who knows? But you you can't tell if that gauge on you is well calibrated until you start capturing that data. And then once you have it, you can do something about it. If you turns out like you're always wrong about that. Okay, well, so next time you feel like the probability is 90%, we're going to rein that in. It's probably 60. Mm, right. and, and that just makes you smarter about yourself. It's really so much of it is about knowing thyself and uh, and getting getting things into a structured process so that you can't lead yourself astray with the the inevitable emotional stuff that happens to us all in a market. You know, you, you bring up a point here about confidence. And uh, I've always been fascinated with those that are absolute. I don't mean 100%. I mean absolute, right? You know, that level higher mm -hmm. about a particular name, like for example, like a Tesla. Mm -hmm. There are people that are absolute about Tesla always being, if it's down, it's a great time to buy. If it's up, by the way, 
it's still a good time to buy. And if it's higher, they told you so. And if it comes back down, it's a great time to buy. And they are, what is that? Is that BS? I, I'm, I'm seriously, I, I'm, yes. I, it's, it's always confused me. It's always confused <laughs> me. I'm like, how do you get to that point? That that's just like you know how do you get to the point of some of the the beliefs that people have got based on misinformation? It's like you can convince yourself and you can surround yourself with other people who are saying the same thing mm. to the point where you've got a fever of Tesla, you know. And look, I mean, maybe they're right over a certain time horizon, but I can guarantee they're wrong over the time horizon of forever. And there will be a point where it's not a good idea to always buy Tesla. And the idea that, that you know, uh, the mark of a good investor and an, an accurate forecaster is open-mindedness and the ability to recognize that, you know, I think Tesla's a buy right now and I've got my reasons and, you know, I'm, I feel very strongly about them. However, I could be wrong. What could go wrong? What, what are the, you know, different things that could happen? I better probe those and test them. And, you know, that's how the really good professional investors make money. They got, you got to be able to change your mind because stuff changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tesla's down 50% from where it was. And like I said, I actually dipped my toes into Tesla for the first time in a very long period of time for clients last week. Hmm. And timing's been good so far, not good. Um, and I looked at it. I looked at the pricing. I looked at what was going on with it. I looked at the China situation. I looked at, you know, the, the my my personal opinion that the Twitter deal is really a bad idea. My hope is he ditches that Twitter deal and actually can refocus. And that will be a really good catalyst for the name. Um, and even if he doesn't, okay. And, and, you know, I went through that whole process, right. Of where, what's the worst case scenario. Let's look mm -hmm. at the charts. Let's look at the fundamentals um, and China and all that. There's definitely some downside potential, but happened to have caught it really on a nice, very low point, mm -hmm. which worked out. But, but again, I can tell you, um, I could probably be even Steven on the reasons to own it, reasons not to own it right now. Yeah. Well, so you probably didn't buy a big position. That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> that is and very And then correct. if he announces he's, he's bailing on the Twitter deal, are you a buyer? That's a good question, right? That's a good question. I would probably add to the position, yes. I mean, it depends, obviously, on what else is going on. Right. <laughs> but still, right. yeah. So, so you know, it's, this is about having a plan and knowing what, okay, here's my thesis. Here's what I'm going to do if this happens. Here's what I'm going to do if I find out I'm wrong about that. You know, if he says the deal is definitely happening, here's what I'm going to do. Um, and that way, it's it it just helps you maintain your sanity. Oh, when, sanity. You know, That's such, what happened to that? I want to last uh, bring this thing up right here. You wrote a piece um, in March for the CFA Institute, I believe it was, uh, Bridging mm -hmm. the Fundamental and quant divide. Now, you probably, I don't know, I have a little bit of a different maybe view on quant versus fundamental. Um, sometimes I think that quant is a automated absolute um, delve into fundamentals. In other words, mm -hmm. some people will take their fundamentals, they'll look at it and they'll bend it around and compare it around and do all sorts of fun things with it. You know, like one off, right? One company at a time. Whereas mm -hmm. quant is a bigger... Um, data-driven process. Is that mm -hmm. a reasonable definition, a way to look at it? I mean, yes, although I would say that the, um, the sort of biggest definer of quant is that it starts with the data, not with the meaning. Correct. <laughs> you know, so 
and, and you have some quant funds that are looking at fundamental data. They're doing the job of a fundamental analyst, but they're doing it in a codified way. Right. That, that's how we do it. So we have so certain, so I have a certain screen that we've been using for a while that we, we, every once in a while we'll go through and tweak something maybe because of an outside um, situation, you know, economics or whatever it may be. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it has very clear requirements for stock to come through that filtering process in order to be teed up for use in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. That's purely quant based on fundamentals, but mm -hmm. starting with the definitions though, not the data. Right? Yeah. So, so that, and that's probably uh, the most uh, like the, the way that most fundamental investors will ultimately go. I think mm -hmm. um, there's still a human at the end, you're tweaking things based on your understanding of the world and making the final decision. Right. But the computer's doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting in the background. That's like one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, machine learning models that are just taking as much data as they possibly can and building a model of the market and making investment decisions of their own volition and performing, you know, but that's a, <laughs> that's a very different well, approach. Yeah, but yes and no. I mean, are they performing or are they making performance? Do you understand my point there? Tell me more. I mean, I don't know. I have this, this sneaking suspicion that somebody who's programming the algos, there's some thread in there somewhere, some line of code somewhere that can sniff out what's going on with the other algos. And it's just all push me, pull me directionally. And if the data is all the same, the data is all the same. It's the interpretation of the data, right? But yet, but it seems to me, and fundamentals don't change, but maybe once per quarter, unless you put in different drivers or assumptions in there, but a, a, a company's not coming out with new numbers, but once a quarter in their quarterly earnings reports. So the fundamentals, the underlying fundamentals are not publicly available. Let's, let's keep it there and assume that we're only using public data. Um, so what's happening on the other side is th it looks to me that they're, the algos are, are, are a huge Momo uh, driver that is just all about pushing and pulling and seeing who has enough money to push enough so that there could be profits made from it. I don't know. It just seems like it's it's an interesting process. You know, as soon as that guy's book came out, uh, The Man Who Solved the Market, did you read that one? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. yeah as soon as he went, he went cold right after that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a that's a, a cynical view of quants to be taking. It's possibly true. I Who knows, right? Like, I'm sure there are quants who are, in fact, I was just hearing... Uh, Oh, story about somebody basically hacking into to their competitors' uh, oh. system for this reason, um, and yet most of the the I don't deal with a lot of quant managers, but I you know they're off, they're often very interested in what we do just because it's you know data analytics, and a lot of the ones at the at the extreme end of the spectrum are they're basically just like computer scientists and mathematicians and they're taking, right. it's not just fundamental data. Like that's a tiny fraction of the data. They're taking data about everything, every, whether it's web scraping from sites or market volume data or like everything right. and feeding it into their machine. And the machine is making risk adjusted decisions. Yep. And as far as they're concerned, they're just, they're not interested in what are, any other people doing they're interested in what is the data saying and that's it you know so it's, there's nothing like nefarious but 
Now, I'll give you an example. Reality, I'll give you. I'll give you an example of that. A prime example. You know, yeah. all of a sudden there's a, there's a a storm brewing off of the uh, you know Cape Horn. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hurricane season, and that they're scraping that data right in the background. They may have some kind of their own mm-hmm. direct resource. Now, what happens? They start buying Generac generators, which I bought last week for my clients, by the way, because we're about to enter hurricane season, which is a seasonal trade that seems to be mm-hmm. very beneficial. And the stock was down pretty good, um, so. We picked up a small piece of that. And obviously, if we, you know, usually what you see is when hurricanes come, people buy generator stocks. And there's not many mm-hmm. out there. But these guys are probably able to grab that data because by the time I know about it, maybe I hear it about it on the 530 News that there's right. something going on. Whereas they got that as soon as that thing spun up to 60 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, that's the the beauty from their perspective. They're 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 figuring out the faintest signal way before the human ear can pick it up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's awesome. Um, That's yeah, awesome. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Anything you want to say, uh, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, what they should read, what they should be doing, any wonderful thoughts on, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, Irish Jewish soup recipe, anything. <laughs> well, I wish I had, uh, all the answers for, uh, making money in this market. I don't, but, um, I do have lots of free research on how to not make the same mistakes over and over again. And you can find that on our website, which is Essentia-Analytics. So like essential without the L, Essentia-Analytics.com. So there's like white papers and blog posts and and things that if you're interested in, you know, the the nexus of behavioral science and investment decision-making, that's the place for you. And we'll put that information on the Show notes for episode number 768 over on the disciplineinvestor.com as well. Claire, thank you so much for joining me today. Be safe. Uh, and I think that uh, you are a, a great asset for those out there looking for a process, accountability, as well as understanding more about themselves in the investment business. So really, kudos. Hats off to you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. And with that, it's going to take us to the end of this fine show, this fine program. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, being with me not only this week, but each and every week here on the Discipline Investor Podcast. We get some n- nice stuff showing up over the next few weeks as well as we do each and every time. Go over to the Discipline Investor, get the information on Claire Flynn Levy and Essentia Analytics, as well as, as I mentioned, the information on how you can work with us. Starting out with as little as, what do we say, $10,000 for Investology, which is our, 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 our answer to what a robo-platform should look like, an advisor-crafted and technology-enhanced platform that was built for you because you requested it. Listeners request, that's what we did. We built it. So check that out as well. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you again right here next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, 
and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.